From Potomac Fund Management, this is the Conquer Risk Podcast. Join us as we discuss the business of running an RIA firm and the practice of investment management. And now, our hosts. Do risk scores and risk questionnaires work? That's the topic that we're going to address today. Uh, you know, this is something, Manish, this is something that, that I have to deal with, like, seriously every week. I have at least one advisor who either either gives me their opinion, asks me questions about our own portfolios, as an example, and, and where the scores are versus their particular system, um, or, or gives me, you know, like I said, asks about what others are out there. So it's a, it's a real common uh, scenario, and, and all the more reason we thought we'd address this as a topic. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for 32 years. Uh, you and I both know, I mean, even in the last five or six years, we've used hidden levers, we've used advisory world, we've used uh, risk allies. You know, we've had a lot of different, uh, we've had different questionnaires on our own contracts. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break this down into three simple pieces. We're going to talk about the risk scoring and, and questionnaires from a client perspective, as well as then secondly, the risk scores and, and, and the process for an asset or model. And then we'll sum it up at the end. So that said, how you been doing, buddy? Uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, we uh, we sold our condo in Florida and uh, moved up to Maryland to buy something uh, closer to family and and whatnot. And uh, having a hard time finding a place. I guess the real estate market's pretty hot all over the country. We can talk about that on a, a future podcast. But for, for those who end up watching this video, I'm actually. Uh, in my parents' basement uh, on a plastic lawn chair recording this podcast. And uh, so it's been a challenge to get set up for this. Uh, my poor parents felt bad about making noise, so they actually left. And um, so, yes, I am I am uh, 40 years old with three kids, a pregnant wife in the childhood home I grew up in, in my parents' basement recording this podcast for those keeping score. Oh, you're killing me, Smalls. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can't, uh, I, I, I feel for you, brother. I know it won't be that long and it doesn't matter whether you, you love your parents or hate them. That's just not where you want to be. I know that. Uh, but, but that'll all work out in the end. Um, <laughs> so I had well, to ask. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. So that's, uh, see a different, oh wait, it switches up the video, uh, uh, portion of this, but, but anyway, moving on here. So, so with yeah. risk scores, uh, you know, it's a very hot topic and there's a lot of debate. Some people uh, love risk scores. Uh, they love using them with their clients. Uh, they love w what they provide. And there's others who think it's totally smoke and mirrors. So uh, to your point, let's dive in first talking about the sure. risk score for the client or for to create a risk profile. Sure. And, uh, you know, we, we look at this and, and really think there's there are a couple of different methods or, or processes. And, and what we see from the risk questionnaires and the risk scoring, when you look at them, we, we look at them more like this. You know, one is, let's say, more like a risk lies or at a speed limit sign. It's, it's some contraption that is intended to give you a relative score so that you can pair it up with other relative scores, right? What the client is versus the, a particular product. And, and that can be any, you know, whatever the range is. Um, and then there's also, uh, you know, a, sort of a different approach is something more like a hidden levers that is really focused on looking at not a score per se, like a, a, you know, a number, a speed limit sign, but rather what's the maximum drawdown, the maximum drawdown that a client is willing to accept in this particular part of our podcast. 
right? What are they willing to suffer through in order to get the return that they need? And that's that's something that's more concrete, a little bit more well, concrete. Let me let me uh, add something there. I I, I think yeah. from our experience, we like one thing. Most people like the other, and. <laughs> And what I what I mean by that is to us as a money manager, we love the scoring with a maximum drawdown because you can explain. Listen, this is the 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 peak uh, to trough decline that an investment has incurred in the past versus a score of thirty five doesn't necessarily mean much on the surface. You still have to explain what that is. Um, right. And so. And that's what a lesson we learned the, the hard way. What what you may like or think uh, may not be explainable um, to to the client. Yeah, and this is where uh, you know understand first, right? We are uh, you know Potomac is a product company, right? We we have an RAA, and that's what what we do on the surface, right? So our focus, of course, is going to be necessarily when we're talking about something like this or in our history, right, looking at, well, what ranks our portfolios the most accurately? Well, that's kind of the second piece of this this discussion. But we're, right now, as we focus on what it is for the client, that's where I think it gets interesting because while a product has a specific max drawdown, right, a client has nothing. A client only has their experience. Whoops hit the old microphone here they only have their experience they have their uh intelligence right their information that they know and and somewhere in there an advisor has a questionnaire of some sort that's the interesting part in this right it, no matter what different iteration or perspective these things take they still all start with basically five to ten questions <laughs> and in two minutes or less you're supposed to be able to sum up everything about a client and determine what they are willing to accept and that's that's frankly just interesting to me that that that's what we you think about a lifetime's worth of investment goals are really broken down to, to two minutes worth of 10 questions of which half of which the clients probably don't even understand well i mean you're kind of jumping ahead and, and giving away the your, your opinion there i mean that's not that's not entirely true uh you know there that the point of this is to to get something on paper. I mean, if you're not going to yeah. use a risk questionnaire, then then you're truly just throwing darts. You have no idea. So, well, let's talk about. So, what what are the actual pros of of coming up with a a, a scoring system questionnaire to assess risk? What 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 are yeah, those I, things that stick out? Absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, you you got to start somewhere. Right? I mean, we have to have, in our litigious society, you have to have something to be able to justify, to document, to reference why advisor A put client B in product C. Right? Why were these decisions made? And if without, if you think about it, take away the risk questionnaire in whatever format it is, and what you're left with is advisor opinion. Well... You know, now wait a second. It doesn't matter how good the advisor is. That's really asking for potential problems. So well, that so to me would is, be one of the first. And that, well, let me let me finish this for a second. Yeah. So that falls right in line with the second one I would mention, and then you can fire away, which is that really goes right in line with fiduciary responsibility, right? We're not talking about risk questionnaires on the broker dealer side. We're we're dealing with advisory, and so I think it falls hand in hand with the fiduciary responsibility. You have a you have to decide. What is best for this client? And in order to justify that, you, 
you often have to look for the questionnaire and see what they what the answers were for the questions and then work from there. That's a starting point. I, I think people take it too literal. And what I mean by that is just because a client has a 35 and you, you sit there trying to find a portfolio that matches exactly to it, uh, I look at it as guardrails. Uh, and that's why yeah. the speed limit sign works so well. Listen, there's no... There's no doubt that the most successful company when it comes to risk tolerance has been Riskalyze. If you talk to other fintech competitors of Riskalyze, they will throw them under the bus nine times out of ten about how it's it's not that analytical, it's all marketing, yada, yada, yada. But guess what? It works because it's a guardrail, right? The speed limit's 70. It doesn't mean that you can't go 30 or can't go 100. That's up to you. But this is the suggested speed limit based on statistics uh, that gets you somewhere uh, as safe as possible. And so that leads to the, to the biggest pro really here, in my opinion, is, is the guardrails yeah. and, and the marketing aspect of it, the lead gen aspect, because you are out there telling clients, listen, there's no perfect solution, but working with us, we'll put together a portfolio that gets you to your goal as safe as possible based on your risks. Um, and, and that's why I think the speed limit sign is, is such a great I hate saying marketing hack or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's such a great uh, uh, idea or tool, and, and they, they nailed it with that. So, Yeah, yeah, I, t- I totally would, <clears throat> would agree with you on that. I mean, it's, it's effing brilliance on, on the speed limit sign because the, the, the best advisors that I've known in my career have been storytellers, right? They're, they're educating the client by telling a simple story about something non-financial, and a relating that to finance. And then that's how you educate somebody on, on the actual financial side. Okay. Well, let's so face it, are, everybody knows the, the speed limit sign, right? Everybody yeah. knows what a speed limit sign is. So kudos to Riskalyze for creating that because from a lead gen perspective, it, it just doesn't get any better we, than that. We, we weren't gen. supposed to mention any companies and that lasted about eight Thir- minutes. 30 so, seconds. Uh, yeah. So, all right. So let's. Uh, what, what cons do we have for... Um, for, for generating this risk score uh, based tolerance well I think one of my biggies is it's it's an assessment but it's somewhat out of context and what I mean by that is again we, a client can only answer questions based on what they know their own experience and as time goes on their experience may change right and and you know the old adage that the clients will take all the risk that you know on the on the surface of, uh, until they can't Right when the market drops, they suddenly don't want risk. Well, that's that's different. How do you how do you take that into account? So so put differently, let's take twenty twenty. I mean, you you have someone fill out a risk score in the first two weeks of March versus today. Chances are their answers are going to be drastically different, even though their situation may or may not have changed that much in through five what six months. Sorry. Yeah, and that's you know look, we've got two or three cons, and they really revolve around this same same sort of subject it depends when they invest it depends what happens as soon as they invest and it depends on what kinds of things have happened to them in the past when they've invested there's another uh, big con that you brought up during our conversations uh that's risk capacity versus risk assessment what 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 do you what do you mean there yeah uh, so that essentially the risk capacity versus risk assessment is one that is kind of a mental game really for the client because risk capacity is more around what they can actually accept from a financial standpoint let me give you a quick example clients worth three million dollars has no debt uh, 
it probably doesn't really matter how much they need. They, they've got lots and lots of money and no responsibility. So their capacity is very, very large. However, mentally, they may not like loss. They may be a very risk-averse person just by their sheer nature. And so they're going to answer their questions. Uh, most questionnaires will have not only things about their background, but also what risks they want to take. What if your account loses 10%? What if it loses 20%? So the risk capacity versus the other, look, not all math on these questionnaires is going to work out great. And that's the context that I think is often missing from some of these uh, questionnaires. You have to actually understand what the client is answering. And it's hard to quantify. It is. So no, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus there. It's just a hard thing to quantify. And therefore, I think it's a con. You, you, a lot of these don't take context. Speaking about quantifying something, uh, the, one, of the, one of the other cons for the advisor is your risk questionnaire is going to be vastly different from your suitability questionnaire on your contract. Uh, and, and we kind of ran into that problem as well where a client fills out a risk questionnaire, they get a score, they say, yes, I want to open an account. Then they come to your contract and it's different questions or, or maybe similar but slightly <laughs> different questions. And, and this is more of a logistical uh, uh, nightmare for advisors to, uh, to figure that side out. So it's, I don't think this is necessarily a con for the assessment tool, uh, but more for how the advisors implement it. Um, but regardless, with that being said, you know, the end goal always is to figure out what the client's risk tolerance is, however you want to do that with a score or suitability questionnaire or whatever it is, and then tie that to an asset. And yeah. so, right. I mean, that's, that's really the goal. Yeah, it's, it's you're, you're absolutely right. And it is tough. The advisors are in a pickle because you start using three or four or five different products to, to uh, solutions for a client. And, and, of course, they all are forced to have to have their own questionnaires as part of their account opening process because they need to know that if it's advisory, they need to know the clients as well. And so it's, a, it's definitely a little bit of a, of a game there to get that done. Um, but that lends itself to the, to the next topic, a part of this topic, which is how do we talk about or let's talk about the risk questionnaires and a scores when it comes to an asset or a model rather than just for the client? Because the client, there's a lot of subjectivity there. Is there the same subjectivity with an asset? Yeah, I mean, it's a natural progression, right? The, the whole goal of doing this is to get a score and, and then hopefully match it to an asset so that you have that alignment. Now, how do you score the asset? Now, you have stocks, ETFs, you have SMAs. There's so many different ways uh, to go about scoring that asset, and not everyone scores it the same. Every company is going to look at things differently. Uh, you and I can sit down and look at a track record, and you know, I can use max drawdown, you can use standard deviation, and the scores are going to be different. And, and, and that can that can cause a problem. But the, but let's just let's talk about the good side. The good side is listen, you have to match it to something, right? And, and this is what we <laughs> yeah, said before. Absolutely. I mean, th you have to have some guardrails up because if like someone is conservative and a thirty, and you stick them in an S and P five hundred fund, you know th th that risk is not going to match uh, the profile. So so the pros of creating a score is it helps you put up the guardrails and try to align the risk score with a portfolio, right? That's that's number one. Yeah. Uh, and also yeah. combining assets. You can take an S&P 500 and gold and combine it, and it may have fantastic you know, historical returns, but it, it might be more aggressive than holding one of the components on its own. 
And so it, it's, it's, it's really helpful for combining different assets or, or, or models, however you want to call them, uh, and, and, and getting the understanding the, the underlying uh, risk components. Yeah, I'm you know I'm not sure if all these different risk uh, the risk tool providers would uh, want to shoot me or or thank me, but I think in many cases these scores when you do it for the client and then you also do it for the asset, right? And matching those up, it it, it becomes cliff notes, <laughs> right? I mean you could you can spend hours and hours understanding all the quali- qualitative and quantitative numbers. And information together to figure out how to combine different strategies and what those results are or if I combine a 74 and a 36 do I end up at somewhere in the middle or do I still end up at a 69 right is that lower one really having much of an effect uh, and what ratios if I switch instead of 50 50 what does that do right these these scores often become cliff notes when it comes to combining managers like I said, maybe maybe the, these all these different tool companies would uh, would say that's that's brilliant. That's exactly what we want. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. So uh, you know, we had a, a, a heated discussion about the the cons of the asset scoring because you and I have seen uh, mm-hmm. different versions that drive us insane. Um, yeah, the biggest one being a tactical manager is since we are not buying and holding the same set of of assets or or. or uh, ETFs or funds, whatever you want to call them, over time, we could be, you know, from cash to invested to gold to bonds, you know, we can be all over the place. So how the heck do you score something like that? Um, and a lot of times they will use the historical track record of the holdings, but that's not how it works because, you know, we may not hold that in the future. We may have hold it, held it for one month in the past. And I know you have a great example of last time we yeah. tried to combine two tools. What what happened there when you did that? Yeah, so we were we were really excited to start using a a, a tool that uh, that ranked what we felt like was a a pretty good assessment of our tactical unconstrained portfolios. Well, that's great. So any advisor that were to look up our portfolios in there, or our models in there, would would see these these numbers that seem to be a, a good representation. Well, we were using a financial planning tool, right, for for some direct clients, and it's like, oh well, that's great. There's an integration. Let's pop these in, right, and that way the portfolios they're using are in the financial planning tool, and and the the risk number will be there, and it'll all be gravy. As soon as we did that, the integration avoids that number that we just spoke about. And instead, for whatever reason, they have the integration set up to look and rank based on the holdings, which is not what they do on the model level. So when you pull it in after you've just sold something on, you know, this, hey, here's this number, it matches up with yours, it's all good, we're happy-go-lucky. And then as soon as you suck that sucker into the financial planning tool, the number is, oh, wait, we're invested and we're very, you know, very... uh, uh, aggressive at that particular case and it blows that number out of the water because they're looking at holdings and that again it may only be for a week but you can't really afford to have the client looking you know signing in and seeing a, a 10 and then a 90 <laughs> that, well so that, this is a this is help. a wonderful point and this is what any advisor that's listening to this podcast needs to uh, take into account when you are looking at the risk score of an investment is it the underlying holdings that it's that's being scored or is it the actual model's track record now we all put our track record into morningstar if your risk toll is extremely cheap 
in terms of cost, I can guarantee you they're just doing holdings because Morningstar data is very expensive. And that's a little uh, hack to notice it. If you're getting risk scoring tools and you're paying next to nothing, they're not paying Morningstar for data. Uh, they're just taking risk scores based on the existing holdings. Now, that may be fine for an asset allocation buy and hold portfolio that rarely changes, but something that's constantly changing, um, I, I think it, it doesn't work. Um, and you know what, frankly, I take that back. It actually, I don't think it's gonna work for asset allocation or buy and hold. You know, you use something that has a ton of value uh, versus growth, you know, I, I don't think using today's holdings is is a good way to, to address it. But anyway, that that's, I think, a con for you and I when, when we were exploring it. Um, yeah. So what's, yeah. let's let's wrap this puppy up. What, what what do you think the conclusion is here, in your opinion, on, on risk tools and risk questionnaires? I, I think whatever you use is a starting point, right? It's, it is, it's almost like an indicator. It is one piece of the information. I think if you rely too heavily on that one indicator, you're going to get burnt. So you have to also understand the context of which the client is answering this. Is it a new investor who just doesn't have a lot of experience? They may answer the questions the exact same way as somebody who has 30 years of investing experience. You have to understand that and, and take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. So that's, that's, my, that's my first takeaway. So it's not that they're good or bad. There's a black or white answer. It's the fact that you have to understand the context. Yeah, they're guardrails. The, the, the debate that, that I sometimes uh, get into on, on Twitter, at least, is, you know, it's two sides. Some people love it and some people hate them and they say it's just marketing and CYA. Uh, it's, it's not a true tool. And, and I see both sides. You know, it's, 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 it, they're guardrails. They're, they're speed limit signs. No one drives the speed limit all the time. Uh, it depends on the road. It depends on what other cars are around. You may get higher or lower. And so I think it's I think it's guardrails. And I loved your point about risk capacity. And real yeah. quick before we get to recommendations, for advisors out there, this is this is really key. As an advisor, you draw your income from client accounts. Uh, your business is all about the market. Your investable assets are likely also in the market. So you're three times levered to how the market reacts and how it performs. So you may not want to be as aggressive as maybe your age is. I'm a great story for this, right? I'm 40 years old, but everything I have is tied to the market. Maybe I don't want to be as aggressive as a normal 40-year-old. And that's where risk scores and risk capacity come in. And, and there's different tools out there that, that combine both of them. Uh, and, and I think you know, we, you and I can both agree that that's probably your best bet if you want a true tool. But if you're just looking to set up guardrails, um, I think I think it's a great tool, and and tons of advisors use it, and and I and I I think it's better than what it used to be, which was just subjectively looking at a questionnaire. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Get a number, and and you got a, a five spot on either side or something. Create a nice little range there, and uh, and and go with it. So, cool. What? Uh, uh, recommendations. What do you got this week? Yeah, well, you know, I have to. I'm on a fishing kick, man. It's summertime, so uh, sp having spent uh, six weeks in Nashville, I got to give a, a shout out to NashvilleFishingGuides.com. Uh, Merv is the uh, is the owner, and I got to go out with him not just once, but he was so so. I had so much fun fishing for hybrids that I went out a second time, and uh, you know, caught some real gangbusters. I can't even count the number of times I had two or three fish on at the same time and having to you know work one drop the rod he's got the 
you know, he got it in the net and move on to the next one and be reeling it in while he's taking care of it. So it was an absolute blast. And he's a great guy, great guide, as well as a great guy. And uh, so I just want to throw a, more, a shout more out to content Nashville for the Fishing Conquer Guides. Fist, Conquer Fish podcast. More, <laughs> more content for Christopher here. There you um, go. <laughs> my, my recommendation is going to be real lame because everyone probably knows what it is, but I've been using it more and more and it's Uber Eats. And I might have recommended it before, <laughs> but post-pandemic look here's a funny story i was uh, by the pool and i was ordering from this pizza place down the street and the guy next to me was like uh at what avoid the service charge just call them they deliver here and i said yeah but then i gotta talk to someone and tell them my credit card and tell them my address when i can just sit here on my phone and do it in about three <laughs> seconds and and it's worth the six dollar or seven dollar service charge not to talk to anyone um and so listen you know we don't go out to eat anymore for obvious reasons uh, and Uber Eats has just, I just, whatever's on there, I use. I don't use anything else. It's just whatever's on that app. If it's delivers, yeah. it's, it's done. So uh, yeah. I'm sure most people probably use it and have it on there, but uh, it, it's been a, a, a reoccurring theme in our household, at least. Well, I haven't tried it yet, so I guess we'll, uh, we'll have to, to, to give it a shot. All right, on that note, we've spent plenty of time here today. We appreciate everybody listening for sure. You can always reach out to us at thepotomacfund.com website and choose connect us all right we'll talk to you later thanks thanks see you all opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of potomac fund management this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions clients of potomac fund management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast